Welcome to TP Talks, PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series. My name is Lauren Dangmer, and I'm here today with a panel of my esteemed colleagues, Hamish McCluey from Australia, Ivan Williams from Canada, and Shimon Walswoski from the United Kingdom. Energy has gone through a series of ups and downs over the last few years. With the supply and demand issues and the changing regulatory environment, we've seen a heavy impact on the oil field service industry, especially given that those companies have had a substantial global footprint. Let's talk specifics about some of these updates and changes. Ivan, maybe if you kick us off from a Canadian perspective. Sure. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, you know, since the introduction of the Canadian transfer pricing rules in the late 1990s, we've not seen a huge amount of legislative change. However, two recent developments are worthy of mention. In the March 2019 federal budget, the Department of Finance announced a series of measures to further strengthen Canada's international taxation rules. One of those measures was the introduction of an ordering rule to ensure the transfer pricing rules apply before other provisions of the Act. Now, this is a significant policy change, as original policy clearly says that the transfer pricing rules are to be applied after other uh, specific provisions of the Act, with the exception of the general anti-avoidance rules. This new ordering rule reinforces the importance of transfer pricing in Canada. One future anticipated change which follows the emphatic loss for the Crown in the Cameco decision is that the Department of Finance is revisiting and rewriting certain transfer pricing provisions in Section 247 of the Act, particularly the recharacterization provisions. Do not be surprised if we, there is a substantial rewrite of these in due course. With that, I'll pass it across to Hamish in Australia. Thanks, Ivan. Most of the recent new tax law in Australia, which is relevant to oilfield services multinationals, occurred in the first few years, immediately after the first OECD BEPS project finished up at the end of 2015. And that's included a whole bunch of new measures. We, we, we had a multinational anti-avoidance law and a diverted profits tax introduced. Um, quite a mouthful. Those two put together are similar in scope to the UK DPT. We had CBC reporting introduced, as did a lot of countries. We've had increases to penalties, both for late lodgement and assessments. And then in, from 2019, we've, to top all that off, we've had hybrid mismatch rules introduced, which follow pretty much the OECD blueprint, including imported mismatch plus, plus one or two other bits and pieces. On top of all of that, our transfer pricing law was modernised just before the initial OECD bets project, effective from 2014, to better align our, our law with the OECD guidelines. So since all of that, the, the pace of new regulations now slowed a little bit in Australia and the, the focus is shifting now to, to ATO enforcement of those regulations. And, and I'll make some comments later in the podcast more on, more on that. If I look more broadly across the Asia-Pacific region, the pace of change has perhaps been a bit quicker here in Australia than other than other places, but we, we have seen some new rules popping up in other countries, and particularly in relation to transparency and reporting, um, CBC reporting rules um, in, in particular. Great. Thanks, guys. With the 2020 FAQ that was released in several recent court cases, we have seen an increased focus by the IRS on transfer pricing audits, 
specifically as they relate to IP, financial transactions, and services. However, the U.S. transfer pricing regulations haven't actually seen a substantial change in recent years. There is a discussion of a regulatory review project coming soon, so more to come on that. Um, currently, there is a heightened focus in the U.S. on international tax reform. With the Build Back Better Reconciliation Bill at the forefront of everyone's mind as we think through planning and potential impact. Generally speaking, from a global basis, we've seen continued implementation of the local transfer pricing compliance requirements in line with the OEC DEPETS Action Item 13, and discussions do continue on Pillars 1 and Pillars 2 and treaty discussions. As we talk through these changes from a high level, I'd like to talk a little bit more specific to the industry. Ivan, how are you seeing these changes impact the Canadian market? Thanks, Lauren. You know, with the new ordering rule giving primacy to the transfer pricing rules, expect more aggressive transfer pricing audits and the transfer pricing penalty provisions to be applied in more scenarios. Now, assuming a legislative rewrite of the transfer pricing recharacterization provisions, you know, look for the CRA to test the boundaries of the new provisions. Also, you know, the general international tax environment has meant uh, transfer pricing is under a lot of scrutiny in Canada and transactions such as financing transactions, hybrid arrangements, and interest rates, which were not heavily scrutinized 10 years ago, are now to the fore. Hamish, what's happening in Australia? Yeah, here in Australia, I mean, this whole suite of new measures that I, I mentioned before, pretty much all of that new law and regulation is relevant to the oilfield services industry. So, so one challenge we've seen here is, is really just been getting on top of the volume of new rules um, and new compliance measures. You know, common examples include things like um, dealing with the imported mismatch rule with the, within the hybrid mismatch rules, um, the, the sheer volume of related party dealing data that now needs to be reported in Australian local files, the the increase in late lodgement penalties, which which now are in the order of 100,000 to 500,000 Australian per late lodgement, um, has meant that it's, it's it's made you know filing deadlines much pointier. And more broadly across across the whole of the Asia Pacific region, we've just seen managing reporting and documentation requirements has been a challenge, um, particularly given that the increase in reporting and documentation has occurred at the exact same time that the oilfield services industry has been experiencing challenging market conditions and, and you know, inevitable resourcing and budget constraints as a result. Thanks, Hamish. While there hasn't been a particularly U.S. legislative change, there is a significant impact. And exactly as you said, it's been exceptionally challenging for the industry given the conditions and, and what's happening with the good years and the bad years. I think this is a great segue as we move into the discussion of controversy and specific impact. Hamish, maybe if I stick it back to you and talk about what you're seeing from an ATO perspective. I think the short answer to that question is here in Australia, uh, ATO review and audit activity is high in the oilfield services industry. The ATO is very well funded at the moment. They're funded to review all taxpayers with revenues greater than $250 million Australian uh, and, and many companies smaller than that as well. Common pressure points for the oilfield services sector in particular uh, include sort of most of the obvious transactions such as IP and royalties, asset leasing, 
and to a lesser extent cross-border loans and into company services as well. And, and we're also seeing a few emerging pressure points from, from some of the new law, including things like DPT and substance questions, particularly for IP structures, and also the application of the hybrid mismatch rules. Uh, I think more broadly across the Asia-Pacific region, review and audit activity is also quite high at the moment. Um, it's pretty well known that audit activity is perennially high in places like Indonesia and India. But we're also now seeing um, some, some increased revenue authority activity in places that might be less expected, certainly historically, such as Singapore, Hong Kong and New Zealand. How about the Europe and the UK, Shimon? Any you know, what are you seeing on the tax authority front in your part of the world? Thanks, Hamish. Yes, Europe is indeed a very diverse part of the world and so are our tax authorities. But in the spirit of time, let me focus on the oldies goldies, areas that always attract tax authorities' attention. That's leasing, permanent establishment and intellectual property. It's best to be prepared for those as tax authorities love inquiring into them. In terms of new things that we see popping up, it's operational transfer pricing. Tax authorities across the continent expect to see three things. One is unsanctioned transfer pricing policy. The second one is transfer pricing documentation, describing it. And the third one is concrete set of financials showing it was implemented in practice. So to give an example, if your transfer pricing is cost plus five, you better have a benchmark for that 5%. You better have a documentation describing the process behind coming up with 5%. And you better be able to show in your financials where that 5% really is. Lauren, over to you to talk a little bit about what's happening in Africa. Yeah, I'm gonna to move to Africa just for a little bit. We, we've neglected to talk through what's been happening down there, but there has also been a, a continued uptick of audit activity in Africa. Their approach has been slightly more formulaic and there has been an internal focus, more importantly, on training the taxing authorities. So we have agents coming from developed countries down to Africa that are actually training those taxing authorities and, and those agents how to audit what to look for, and many of them are targeting transfer pricing because of the intercompany transaction plane. Um, so that, that's something a little bit more unique that we're starting to see ramp up. Ivan, maybe if I come back to North America and we talk through Canada a little bit before coming back to the US. Yeah, sounds good, Lauren. And I think a similar theme here, you know, tax authority audit activity is high amongst the OFS sector. You know, in addition to the traditional targeted transactions of you know management fees, IP, royalties, asset leasing, etc. As I mentioned earlier, you know, now intercompany financing arrangements are being closely scrutinized. Uh, you know, extensive information requests continue to be a common theme, many times not overly focused. Also expect you know significant scrutiny of any government assistance taken as a result of the global pandemic. In particular, close scrutiny of your transfer pricing policies to ensure that Canadian subsidies are not effectively offshored via your transfer pricing policies. Um, Lauren, maybe just heading south of the border, what's happening in the US? Yeah, so a continued increased audit activity. It's a standard theme I think we've all talked through today. Um, we're seeing 
In our ever-changing regulatory environment, we're really seeing a more concentrated effort of coordination with taxing authorities behind the scenes. And we've even seen instances of up to, to five countries that are doing joint audits. I know, Shimon, you'll talk a little bit more about some examples that you've seen, but many times taxpayers are not even aware of what's happening behind the scenes. There has been an increase in APAs, and from the U.S. side at least, an increase in questions and review scrutiny during that process. This increase in controversy on a global basis has also caused an overall increase in MAP and competent authority. Um, taxpayers are now looking to the taxing authorities oftentimes to help negotiate on their behalf or come to a point of reason uh, in difficult audit situations. I know for our listeners, we've been having a very candid discussion today on what we're seeing from a regulatory landscape and an audit environment, but I think it's time we also switch to a more practical view. Let's talk about what's working and what's not. So Hamish, maybe we, we start over with you, Australia and Asia. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Um, I, th I think the first thing is that successfully managing tax authority inquiries in this part of the world starts with with being prepared and you know there's obviously nothing groundbreaking in that but it really does continue to hold true um, a couple of other things trends we've seen in recent times one is that we're finding companies generally get better outcomes and more quickly when they take a thoughtful approach not just to the technical aspects to their response to questioners inquiries but also how they engage uh, with the tax authorities and, and and this can help avoid things like the the ATO using their formal information collecting powers in the form of statutory notices which which makes audits much more difficult to manage. Um, the other one is governance. Um, we're seeing a very big focus on tax risk governance by the Australian Tax Office and if taxpayers that can demonstrate strong um, processes around tax risk governance in a manner consistent with what the ATO expects. Um, you know, doing that goes a long way towards building the ATO's trust. Um, across the, the region, if I look across the Asia-Pacific region, one observation would be that the, the rules and the administrations across this region are incredibly diverse. And so one, one sort of key to practical success is, is, you know, having local knowledge or seeking local advice regarding how to successfully engage and, and, and you know, manage revenue authority reviews and audits is, is really key. Might move back to you, Shimon, any, any, any tips on, uh, on, on Europe and the UK? Yeah, thanks, Hamish. Uh, well, it certainly helps to be prepared. Also, uh, it really helps to be fast. Uh, anecdotal from my personal experience. Uh, we've been running a rather complex TPKs for a client operating across many, many European countries. And we used a standard approach, so many of us have used in the past, that is we engaged with one uh, particular transfer pricing tax authority, hoping to settle on something reasonable and then roll it to other territories. And, and we were successful and not a moment too soon because it turned out that within days of settling with that one particular tax authority, we had two others asking questions about that very transaction. And it turned out that there was some informal discussion between the three tax authorities 
and the two decided to pick it up on the hint from the first one. Uh, you can imagine if we didn't sort it out with the first, we might have had a problem with two others. So I think what we have in here is a lot of discussion between tax authorities, both informal, like in my example, but also formal in terms of multilateral uh, inquiries. And that is something to keep in mind. As the BEPS process progresses, tax authorities talk to each other more and more. It's best to be prepared. It's best to push forward quickly. Uh, Lauren, anything from the US perspective? Along the same lines, consistency and a thoughtful approach, not only from the US or the jurisdiction that you're looking at, but from a global perspective has really been key. In an industry of ups and downs, it's important to think through the intercompany transactions, but also the industry itself and external factors. Explanations that tie back to substance and support the overall transfer pricing approach have been beneficial. We've also seen an increased look into intercompany agreements. While it is best practices to have them, it is important that if they are in existence, that they tie back not only to the documentation, but how the transactions are actually executed. Um, when looking at planning opportunities, gathering the, the business and operational support to drive those changes proactively has been beneficial in the long run and really taking a thoughtful approach to service transactions, not only management, and, and, but also the technical side, and looking through large transactions um, for the industry, how, how to apply them, how to defend them, has been key, not only from a US perspective, but really from a Latin American, um, Russian, you know, Eastern Europe uh, overall perspective. One thing that I, I'll throw out that I think has been helpful in the industry specifically with the ups and downs and, and some of the changing headcount has been really to proactively gather the facts on a, a contemporaneous annual basis. Even if you're not finalizing all of your documentation, sending out questionnaires to the business or the financial teams so that you can gain that support, those commercial justifications or any additional insight has been extremely beneficial in later years to look back to. Um, Ivan, anything from a Canadian perspective to add on? No, I guess, Lauren, you know, I'll keep this pretty brief because I think all the same themes that you and uh, the Simon and Hamish have spoken to apply in respect of Canada. So I'd just say be prepared and timely and keep the communication channels open with the transfer pricing auditor and be patient. You know, Canadian transfer pricing audits do not move quickly. Back to you, Lauren. I think something that we're seeing is a lot of audits are not moving quickly. But maybe with that in mind, just as we come close to the time, if we have to take one or two key takeaways from each of us, Ivan, what would you say is really the key takeaway after today's discussion from your perspective? Yeah, I'll get them first here because I think the same theme you've probably heard time and time again today, you know, be proactive around managing and documentation, documenting your transfer pricing and in dealing with the tax authority and the transfer pricing auditors. Shimon, from a UK perspective? Uh, I would add it helps to be quick. Sorting out problem quickly helps for a number of reasons. One, it allows you to uh, 
aggregate your resources faster and push faster. Secondly, it helps to keep the focus of tax authorities. And thirdly, it helps with those uh, discussions that are happening uh, in the background. So you can sort out the problem before tax authorities start talking about it behind your back. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, with uh, both of you, Ivan and, and Shimon. I, I think it's really important to be prepared as you as you reasonably can. That also helps you to, to be able to move quickly when the time comes. It's very hard to fix problems created by new regulation if you spot them after too late. It's too late, um, and, and it's also very hard to successfully manage tax authority inquiries if you're not prepared in advance. Those those are the keys. Great. Thanks, guys. I, I think what we're seeing is let's be proactive, let's be quick, prepared, and thoughtful from a global perspective as to how we are defending and thinking through our, our controversy strategy and our documentation approach. Um, to our listeners and speakers, thank you so much for your time today. We look forward to you joining us for our second segment as we dig a little bit deeper into planning issues and more pra pragmatic approaches. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.